0: Hi, I'm Jason Jessup and I'm the CEO of Magna Mining. Magna is a Sudbury-focused Nickel-Copper PGM exploration development company and our flagship asset is the Shakespeare Project, which is a past-producing open-pit mine that has major permits for the construction of a 4,500-tonne per day open-pit mine mill and tailing storage facility. Well, it was your flagship. It may no no longer be the case. Um, You're out there buying stuff up. So, what can you tell us about the new deal? We're extremely excited about uh, announcing the signing of the definitive agreement to acquire Lawnman Canada and the Denison project. You know, since the inception of Magna, we really wanted to create a hub and spoke production model. Um, Shakespeare, with you know, past production and the permits to build a mill um, and, and a feasibility study that was completed earlier this year, we think is the perfect um, hub for this hub and spoke production model. And the Denison uh, project that's owned by Lama in Canada, uh, it is a perfect fit for that first spoke. So, we're very excited about it. We think there's a lot of synergies with Shakespeare um, and it is right in line with our strategy that we've had since inception of the company over 5-years ago.
1: Right. So, you're raising a bit of money to do this. Um, can you… It's 20 million bucks. It's a lot of money when you're selling around 25 million buck market cap company. Markets are off at the moment, and no doubt this has been a long time time in the planning. So, one, how how do you feel about the price? Um, And how how do you contextualize that in the in the in the in the sense of the plan going forward to build scale? Um, And also, you know, do you know what you were getting? I mean, do you know precisely what you're getting?
0: So a lot of questions there. So I'll, I'll try to start at the beginning. Uh, you know, we feel that the price that was negotiated is a uh, a very fair price for the asset that we're acquiring, and, and the company we're acquiring. Um, we've done a lot of due diligence. This this deal has taken us uh, over a year, from the start of getting into the data room, you know, looking through the data, um, doing the work, negotiating the deal, and, and getting a definitive agreement signed. So a lot of work done on it, um, and you know, we brought in a lot of experts to to look at various uh, technical due diligence. And so we do feel, you know, we're, we're quite confident and we know in what we're getting. Um, with that, and as part of the the closing and approvals from the TSXV, um, we will need to um, release a 43-101 compliant technical report. Um, so that will be uh, hopefully approved very shortly, and then we'll release that. Um, so with that, I think it'll be quite evident of uh, of what we are buying and and sort of the significance in what it could, um, you know, potentially uh, improve and and combine with Shakespeare to create a a much bigger um, combined nickel company in Sudbury.
1: Right. So th- we're talking about an up- updated resource, updated 43101 here, are we?
0: This would be for the Dennison acquisition or for the Lawnman acquisition. So Denison project that we're acquiring, um, it had some historical resources. Um, and this will be a an updated resource that's compliant. It takes in the ninety thousand meters of drilling that was completed by Lundin Canada um, since about two thousand and five, um, as well as the historic drilling from when Inco was operating the mine um, previous to closing in two thousand and two. Right.
1: Okay. So, are you you going? To up, you're talking about an updated resource, an updated four three one one and one. But what can you tell us about this historic? Data. What 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 did you see? Because twenty million bucks, which is like you know almost hundred percent of your market cap today, that's a that's a big bet you're making there. So what's it based on?
0: Yeah. So my experience in Sudbury um, was with Inco originally, and then I worked for FNX Mining for six years. And for those um, listening that aren't familiar, FNX Mining had acquired uh, five. Past producing operations from Inco very similar to the denison project or as it was referred to inco the Greenhill mine um, so with that you know I, I understand these old Inco mines what was mined what wasn't um, and how to to move them forward into towards a you know production so we had a very good basis of understanding not just the geology but just the context of Sudbury and these old mine restarts with that in mind, as I, I just mentioned, um, there was ninety thousand meters of historic uh, drilling done by Lawnman, as well as a lot of work done by by Inco. So we had a, a huge data set to go through. Um, it took some time, but we did our internal resource modeling as part of our due diligence, and, and some of that's what's going to feed into this uh, resource that will be coming out on on Denison in the next hopefully few weeks. Um, so we do we did see a lot of value there. Um, in our press release, we did highlight some of the uh, intersections that Lawnman had. So there is a both a contact nickel-copper deposit that has been defined, and largely from, from Inco-drilling. With Lawnman, the deal they had with with Valet was a 50-50 JV that they earned into prior to um, 2018. And Lawnman had the rights to any low-sulfide PGM-type Deposits that were discovered. So that was the focus of this 90,000 meters of drilling. Um, in 2018, both Valet and Lonmin decided this wasn't the best type of arrangement. And there was uh, some negotiating done. And then Lonmin acquired 100% interest for all the metals at the Denison project. And, but since then, there has been no drilling. So there's a lot of opportunity to expand on the nickel copper mineralization. But what Laman was very successful in doing is highlighting um, a couple of keel zones that are start at the contact where the nickel copper mineralization is and then go back into the foot wall and these keel zones are very high grade in in precious metals based on the intersections that that we've seen and you know some of these have um, lengths of 20 thirty meters, um, sometimes up to uh, forty meters at grades. Anywhere from five grams platinum palladium plus gold up to more than 15 grams platinum palladium plus gold with copper and nickel byproducts. So, um, very interesting mineralization. We see a lot of opportunity to both expand on these keel zones that are high precious metals, as well as expanding on the nickel copper mineralization. And again, this mineralization starts at surface.
1: Right. Okay. so right, some, some good things in there, I think some things that probably need a little bit more explaining. So, um, you know, platinum, palladium, um, gold component with, with nickel and copper in there too. So it's, it's a kind of polymetallic poly type conversation to me at the moment, which is people kind of get a little bit confused by. So are you a nickel company? I know you're doing this um, Spoken Hub thing, but are we chasing nickel here? Are we chasing nickel and copper? What, what are we after?
0: We're a Sudbury-focused company. Um, Sudbury is primarily nickel, and so we will, you know, definitely um, increase significantly, uh, you know, over time our, our nickel exposure and, and our nickel resources. And again, even at Shakespeare, we've had great success with that and, and some of our drilling in 2021. And but Sudbury is a, a very exciting geological environment, and um, the last time. You know, investors really had, had some exposure to that was with FNX mining and FNX discovered these footwall zones that were not primary Nickel deposits. Um, for example, the Lavac footwall at uh, Lavac mine, which was later renamed the Morrison deposit after Gordon Morrison, one of our advisors and former VPX at FNX. Um, it was primarily a Copper deposit that was very rich in Copper and calcopyrite mineralization. and. With tremendous endowment of of platinum, palladium, gold mineralization, so you know we will uh, we will take it all. And and some of the football deposits are some of the most valuable rock that uh, really you're ever going to see in, in mining. Um, some of these deposits, and even at the Lavac football deposit, we mine ten percent copper and um, eight grams of PGMs and one percent nickel for months and months on end. Um, so it can you know it can be very rich. So we will have lots of exposure to the typical Sudbury contact nickel, which has been the focus over the last 100 years by the majors. Um, but these footwall deposits, which are often overlooked, um, we think there's great potential there. The low sulphide PGN keel zones that we're seeing at Cranial is a great evidence of that. We think there's a lot more of it. And much like what my experience in Sudbury has been, you can have one mine that is mining Different styles of mineralization, different deposits at the same time. So you're mining a high-grade nickel copper mineralization, as well as mining, you know, maybe high PGM, more copper-rich mineralization. So we're we're not going to say that uh, we're only focused on nickel. Um, we're a Sudbury-focused company, and, and Sudbury has a lot of great deposits, and we think. Um, Cranial and, and the Denison project is one of those. Okay,
1: so you, you need to help me here because um, I think it's really important that people know what you are. You, you seem to be focused on the money. We'll take it all. N- no problem with that. Um, in, in, in my concentrate, you know, I'll, we'll take we'll take um, credits from where, wherever we can get credits. But also at the same time, you got to be careful about the narrative into the marketplace because people want, and we've seen this happen in Preston metals, We've seen it with other kind of battery metals too, where. Companies are chasing high-grade stuff, and then they suddenly realize actually there's a lot more pounds in the ground, or a lot more ounces in the ground for the precious metal guys to be had. You know, going going after the lower lower-grade stuff, right? And then that switcheroo in terms of strategy, in terms of narrative, confuses the market. So, I mean, I'm sure you're conscious of that. But when you're starting off, you've made the choice to go after this deal because you think it's a, you think it's a good deal, and in the long run, it'll be good value for money, but you may damage your brand, you may damage the story if you don't be clear, if you aren't clear of the marketplace. I mean, do do you subscribe to some of that or all of that?
0: I I totally appreciate what you're getting at. I think, again, since inception of the company, we've said the same thing. We're a Sudbury-focused Nickel Copper PGM company. Most of our resources, most of the value we currently have at Shakespeare Project is in nickel um, with some significant copper and PGM and gold byproducts that will continue. So there's really no change in in strategy. What we do think is with a project like Denison and Crean Hill, that we can add in some some much higher grade um, mineralization based on what we've seen. So we think there's definitely that kind of potential, but it's going to be the same mix. There's going to be nickel, there's going to be coppers, there's going to be platinum, palladium, gold. Um, like again, Sudbury is very polymetallic, unlike some other nickel camps that are very much nickel with maybe a little bit of copper and cobalt byproduct. But um, you know, we think having that uh, polymetallic nature, having the ability to take advantage when there is runs in precious metals and and have exposure to that as well, is very advantageous. And you know, I've seen that in the past, and I think it is a a benefit for, for our company and for our shareholders.
1: Right. So, Subject price company. Are, are you an exploration company? Then I know this has produced in the past. The project has produced in the past, but are you still an exploration company, trying to put piece together a picture of how you could take advantage of the mill permit at some point, or is there some desire to actually get some revenue flowing uh, sooner rather than later?
0: Yeah, that's a great question, and you know we've always said we're an exploration and development company because Shakespeare is such an advanced asset, and having um, a feasibility study done on it, having past production technically de-risked, and having uh, you know a significant resource already, it is again that we see as a, a perfect hub to to develop a a producing company. Um, but now, obviously, there's some exploration potential that we see um, in the footwall as well as, you know, in the contact at uh, at Denison as well as at Shakespeare. So, exploration will always be a very important part of our business. But that being said, we are looking at uh, commissioning in the future, in the next six months, a another study, probably a, a pre-feasibility study, to combine both Shakespeare and Denison, and so really demonstrate you know, potential economics of what a combined um, those two projects could look like into a combined entity and feed from Denison going into Shakespeare. Now, that being said, one of the other great things about Sudbury is there are two existing mills here in Sudbury that have capacity, um, are not completely full and can um, potentially toll mill high-grade mineralization, high-grade ores from Denison. So that is something we will look at, and you know we think that is also supporting understanding. You know, a pre-feasibility study, maybe getting in, doing some mining, and uh, and processing that to get better reconciliation against the block models. You know, test metallurgy, and. and Potentially produce some some cash flow in the near term. So these are things we'll be working on over the coming months, and we'll be able to get better guidance on that as as things evolve.
1: Right. And but you will need to raise some capital against that as well, because you're going to need to you know get in a position to even do the tolling, right? So which is clearly reduces the capex component, but in terms of um, opex and maybe a little bit of of capex in there too. So is what what's the timing on that? What what are the kind of considerations when you're um, defining that the scale at which you want to go?
0: Yeah, so one of the considerations in the financing that we announced with the signing of the Definitive um, was a private placement up to $20 million. The purchase price on closing is $13 million. So, you know, there's going to be some closing costs, and but it still allow us a, a decent amount of cash um, to run over the next year as we work on these studies, do some additional exploration, and then start looking at, you know, what is the next step and, and if it is an advanced exploration program with potentially um bulk samples or or some early mining then that will be evolved but over the next 12 months um we believe we'll have the cash in hand with what's in the bank currently plus you know closing this private placement when when we close that that will be able uh, to be funded over the next year.
1: Right you've done you've done that at what 27 cents. Um, is there a warrant with that?
0: Correct. Yeah, it's 27 cent unit with a uh half warrant at uh Forty and a half cents for three years.
1: Right. So uh, thirty-five bucks today. Of course, you you, you've, you saw a little uh, bump there when you made the announcement as well. Um, that that kind of looks okay, uh, not too expensive, and it's not a discount. So that, that's kind of good news. And um, I've got to ask about one of your uh, shareholders, uh, Mitsui. How do they feel about all of this, and do they get to partake
0: uh, in any way? So the MOU that we announced with Mitsui, um, it was on the Shakespeare. Well, it was actually at the asset level for Shakespeare only. So now we are continuing to discuss how does this potentially um, impact Mitsui and and how can they potentially participate and what that looks like. So there's there's quite a bit of work to do to to put some values around it and you know we're in discussions with them on that. So it will take a little bit of time for them to fully understand and for us to um, come to some kind of agreement or conclusion on. On that, but it is—they're uh, obviously very excited. A company the size of Mitsui is only interested in a company like Magna because they see this growth potential and, you know, the potential even for further consolidation in the Sudbury camp.
1: Right, and so they—they they currently have an option of going up to 25% from from memory from our conversation at the beginning of the year. But what what does it look like? I guess it looks like give us some more money and you can get involved. But. Um, what have they brought to the Shakespeare project today? Because they obviously there was some money allocated to drilling and advancing that project. Have, have they got what they out of what they wanted or expected out of Shakespeare yet? Because uh, I guess it only been six months since we spoke.
0: Yeah. So their evaluation on Shakespeare and their due diligence is largely around the feasibility study that released earlier this year, um, as well as looking at you know potential. Upside and expansion and future um, increases from that. So, you know, they're they're quite keen on on the project. Um, but as as all of us would like to see, everyone wants to see it grow and extend the mine life. And so, Denison is an obvious opportunity for that, as well as you know, an updated resource one to combining all the the drilling that we've done since the feasibility study. Um, so, yeah, long short of it is, you know, they're quite they're quite keen on moving forward with. Just Shakespeare alone, and and they have a lot of interest in, in more upside with this Denison and uh, London Canada acquisition. But again, it will take some time.
1: And if they if they did decide to go forward, would, would there be an expectation that they'd have to drop some more money in at asset level uh, on the new project?
0: Yeah, that that's a possibility. And you know, this is what we're discussing: whether it's. Increasing exposure through Ursa Major, which is the subsidiary company that holds Shakespeare, and having potential Denison ore being toll milled through there, and then they benefit from the toll milling. There's there's a lot of moving parts that we're discussing and, and what might work best. But again, there's still we need to focus on just getting this acquisition closed, and then uh, you know we can have more fulsome conversations what a bigger picture would look like. But for right now, at the moment, you know we're still. With the MOU, and, and that's where it's at.
1: Right. Okay. And because the again on the the the, the new um, project, the infrastructure must be in place. Is it? Does it need some kind of updating? And is that is that factored into the raise
0: that you've just done? Uh, sorry, infrastructure. Well, I'm just so- talking. T-
1: t- t- yeah, I'm talking about no on the on the on the on the new project. Obviously, it you know it has. Uh, been a mine before, you know, a lot of money was spent on it. I should say before. Um, is it? Does it need some updating, upgrading uh, to allow any kind of trucking, for instance, to, to happen? If when you get to that point,
0: it's actually there's great infrastructure there. There's power there. There's a water treatment plant. Um, there's an ore pad. There's excellent road access. Um, it's actually just a few kilometers from uh, KJHM's big Victoria project that they're. Um, developing so, and just down the road from Valley's Totten Mine, so it's in a great area, uh, very accessible. As to get started, uh, the infrastructure is primarily there. Uh, you know, we'll have to look at what long term is going to be required, but uh, it is a very good good asset and in and good shape and, and been well maintained.
1: Right. Okay. And you've um, noticed that um, Jonathan Goodman's um, joined um, as well. Was that the a- was he part of this deal? Was that to give you access to market? I mean, why bring him on board? Apart from he was a, a big shareholder through Dundee previously.
0: Yeah. So, so Jonathan Goodman has been a big supporter since RTO, and you know, in is uh, earned into or bought into approximately in nineteen point nine percent interest. And as part of you know, looking at this this transaction, we we wall crossed him and and brought him in as part of our due diligence. He actually brought his technical team into the data room, and they, you know, did their own due diligence on it. And um, needless to say, Jonathan was very excited and and really wanted to help us both, you know, close this acquisition and grow the company towards our goal of, of becoming a producer with the hub and spoke production model. So with all of that, it just made a lot of sense to to bring him onto the board. So we we asked him to join the board, and he graciously accepted, and he's been a, a strong supporter ever since.
1: Fantastic, and um, you're obviously at the um, at the conference now. Uh, you, I, you've been meeting people yesterday, and I guess another couple of days uh, worth of that. What, what sort of um, discussions are you having? I mean, it, who's interested in that? Is it just your current shareholders? Because at, at a company of your size, institutional guys and the kind of the the kind of big, bigger companies do tend to stay away from that. But with Mitsui on board, has that has that helped somewhat?
0: Yeah, I would say that our um Our shareholder base, once we close this uh, this twenty million dollar private placement, um, will grow and we'll bring in some very significant new shareholders, Um, and and some of these are very good, well known institutional shareholders. So there's been a a great response. Now, in order to do that, we had to wall cross certain um, groups and to you know get the financing um, in place, but you know a lot of support, um, a lot of new shareholders, and we're getting. Inbounds and interest from you know a lot of groups that I thought were were too big for us, but um, you know they they like what they're seeing, they like the pattern, and and some of them have had you know success in the past with juniors in Sudbury such as FNX, so um, they're quite keen to hear more about what we're doing. So we've had uh, some very good discussions with some. Some top-notch uh, shareholders and, and potential investors.
1: Brilliant. And, and last time we talked, obviously nickel was just on a on a tear. Again, it's come off um, a little bit, like uh, like most things. Um, your, your expectation, or certainly, I'd, I'd be intrigued to say what some of the conversations that you've had or expect to have will be about when it concerns to as it concerns the market.
0: Right? Is nickel
1: going to come back, or have we seen that its best days
0: behind us? Our best days are definitely not behind us. <laughs> I think that the nickel market, if we really look at it, and I watch the warehouse and the LME stocks, and, and anyone who takes a look at that, regardless, don't even look at the nickel price, but the stocks keep ticking down, steadily ticking down. And we are at lows that I don't even recall if we got to those lows back in 2007, when nickel's over $20. So inventories are very low and it's, everyone can agree, that demand, especially in the battery space, which is you know the class one nickel, the the high purity nickel that can go into battery uh, materials, is is definitely going to grow in demand. So as demand grows, inventories have come down. Uh, I think there's no way for nickel to go but up in price, and there will be some volatility. I think there'll be times it'll probably take another run where it'll it'll shoot up too far and and then come back down and and then shoot up again. But overall, I think the supply demand um, is dictating that Nickel can only increase in price, but expect some volatility. That's what I see, but I'm quite excited about it. And I think we really do need um, higher Nickel prices to incentivize some of these big, very large um, CapEx projects to get built. And that is what we need to meet the demands of what we're seeing. And
1: people who say it's being designed out of battery, uh, car batteries. Um
0: what do you say to them? I don't think so. <laughs> I, I I you know there will be some opportunities for other chemistries, but I think the big automobile manufacturers have set a path forward that they are going to be using, you know, high nickel content batteries. And maybe in ten years there'll be a different chemistry that'll be adopted, but it's not gonna be in the next four to five years, that is for sure. Um, so I do see nickel being dominant. And one of the big, big hurdles that, um, we need for EV adoption is, is this range anxiety. People need to see the ranges increase. And the best way to do that is putting more nickel in batteries. So I, I'm a strong believer that we're going to see this, this high nickel content chemistry, um, over the next 10 years being the dominant chemistry. And, and, and that's going to drive a lot of demand for nickel.
1: Jason, look, I know you've got a busy day ahead of you, so I'm going to let you go. Come back on when you've um, settled your discussions with the TSX over the uh, resource numbers. Um, We all want a sense of how big this thing could be. And um, uh, we eagerly look forward to speaking to you soon. Thank you very much, sir.
0: Thanks a lot, Matt. Hope to speak to you in a few weeks. Take care.